Again, if you got your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 4 and then to Acts chapter 4. We'll continue our study of past the gate called beautiful, looking at Acts 3, 4, and 5. Um, have you ever just wanted to know what to expect before? You ever just wanted to know what to expect? I mean, that's like what DC is all about, right? We just want to know what's ahead. And even if it's bad, you just want to know. It's really nice to know what's coming. Some of you get paid good money uh, in this room. You get paid good money to anticipate what's ahead uh, and to know what to expect. No better example uh, for a preacher and what we do uh, in knowing what to expect than the wedding rehearsal, all right? You ever done the wedding rehearsal before? I'm going to tell you a little secret. For pastors, the weddings are great. The rehearsal is awful, all right? And do you know why? Because no one takes it seriously, okay? It's almost like they forget if we don't get this down, we're all going to look like fools tomorrow, right, at the main wedding. But everybody's so excited when they come into town. They haven't seen each other in so long, and they're thinking about the alcohol at the uh, rehearsal dinner, you know what I mean? Uh, They're thinking about all that stuff, and you as the minister have to herd the cats together and somehow get them to focus so that the wedding can be a masterpiece, right, the next day, okay? So you're trying to figure out, show them what to expect so that when the moment happens, it all comes together just the right way. Knowing what to expect, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, sometimes it's just a random piece of information to help you through what is a strange moment. And so uh, the last uh, the last year... I had the opportunity because of where we are located. Um, the uh, uh, chaplain's office uh, asked if uh, I could help with some fill-in prayers uh, whenever they didn't have somebody to pray to start the session of Congress. And so I got to pray to start the session of Congress three times last year. It was really, really cool. Um, but they tell you what to expect before you walk up to pray. And I'm going to give you guys a cool little piece of insight here. If you're the one who has to watch C-SPAN for the starting of that session, I'm going to give you something to watch for, okay? You ready for this? So up there on the stage, up there in the uh, where the speakers where the speakers podium is, they always bring the pastor up to pray, but it's real close quarters up there, and so you're standing, and then the speaker's desk is right behind, and literally about two feet behind your head is where they bang the gavel to get the session started. And so the chaplain's office always says we need to tell you what to expect so that you don't forget. They will start the session of Congress by banging that gavel directly behind you and you're not going to be able to see it about two feet behind your head bam and they hit it really hard so if you have to watch c-span in the morning nine o'clock is when they start those sessions look for the poor pastor that's right there and there is always a look of sheer terror because you are never ready for bam i mean that that banging of the gavel right behind your head and so you prepare for it you know it's coming and i'm telling you what keeps you from just jumping out of your skin is that you know what to expect you know what's coming even in that moment where you feel nervous, there's going to be that banging of the gavel behind you. Knowing what to expect keeps you from just flying completely out of your skin. Some of you have had orientation for school this week, orientation for jobs. Some of you have had uh, different protocol for social distancing that you've had to learn in order for your group, uh, your business, your group, uh, your government entity to be able to meet together. And I'm telling you, just knowing what's ahead sometimes can give you peace, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, that you can face the task that's ahead of you. It gives you time to prepare. Look with me, if you will, at 1 Peter chapter 4. 
And Peter is going to tell us that there is something that believers in Jesus Christ should anticipate and expect is going to be in front of them. Here's what he says. Full trial that you are suffering. Underline, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Underline that you might be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Stop right there for just a minute. What Peter says, and by the way, Peter is the star of the passage that we're going to be reading uh, in Acts chapter 4. Peter says right up here, for believers in Jesus Christ, don't be shocked when trouble falls upon you. Sometimes there can be this attitude that we follow Jesus, therefore we are blessed. No, go back and read scripture. It says in scripture that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Blessing is going to happen for the godly and for the ungodly. When we have Jesus Christ, we will endure. You don't follow Jesus that you might be blessed. We follow Jesus that we might endure, not just hardship in this world, but that we might endure into eternity. Peter says, don't think it's strange. Don't think it awkward when trouble falls onto a Christian. He says, rather realize we have the hope in Jesus that when his glory is revealed, we win in the end. Amen? That's the thing the believers in Jesus Christ have to remember. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Conflict and growth go hand in hand. Conflict and growth go hand in hand. Now, just for the record, I used to hear over the years, and usually it was in a Sunday school class uh, when I was younger, but I would hear people say, the church, uh, church thrives under persecution. The church thrives under times of persecution, which is true. But then they would say it from a perspective that was like, all right, so bring it on. I long for the days of persecution so that then the church can thrive and the church can move. That's a little weird. You know what I mean? What you get in this passage is not that we should long for pain, but rather that we should not be afraid of it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? The church should not long for persecution, but the church should not fear it either. The church should not long for persecution, but the church should not fear it either. It was kind of like on uh, an athletic team. Did you ever have the person that, I mean, you knew something tough was on the horizon, a difficult opponent, and you watched the team, a person, the person on your team go, all right, bring it on, bring it on, bring the pain so that we can fight through it. There's one thing to say it from that perspective of, man, we're going to do what we feel called to do. We're going to do what our goals are. We're going to do what our team has set our mind to, no matter what comes out of the other side of that opponent, no matter what it is that comes out from that opponent. And another thing to be like, oh, I just can't wait for the pain. I just can't wait for the difficulty. The passage here in Scripture is not saying that we should love the pain, but rather that we should not be afraid of it, and we certainly shouldn't be surprised when we hit a patch of difficulty. Sometimes it can shake your faith when difficulty shows up because you think to yourself, I followed God. I've given him my life. Why is my path more difficult than someone who it seems like looking in on their life, they have not given themselves to God? Peter says, don't forget. He says, don't be surprised at painful trial. One translation doesn't say painful, it says fiery. This idea of something that almost burns as you go through it. We should not long for persecution, but we should not fear it either. So if persecution is on the horizon for Christians, the million-dollar question we have to study today is what should believers expect during that time of persecution? 
What should we expect when things don't seem to go our way? Look with me, if you will, at Acts chapter 4. Flip back that direction, Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1 and continue our story of the amazing miracle that's taken place in Acts chapter 3 and then the aftermath of that miracle. So the church is very young at this point. Uh, We have just had the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were added to their number in one day when Peter stands up to preach. It's this amazing evangelistic moment. And then the disciples are gathering together in an area of the temple called Solomon's Colonnade and they're gathering together specifically here just for a time of prayer. This wasn't the main worship service. This was just a time of prayer throughout the week. And as they're walking in, there's a man who was crippled since birth uh, and he's sitting up against something called the gate called beautiful. Literally, it just means that he is right next to a relationship with God. He's right next to walking in and being in fellowship with the other believers, but he's right there at the gate. He's just not quite inside. Peter and John, seeing this man who'd been there for years, begging, all of a sudden look at him and they go, sir, would you like to, uh, uh, sir, we have something for you. He turns, gives them their attention, and then Peter says famously, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. The name of Jesus Christ, now stand up and walk and Remember the study we did the last few weeks? All of a sudden, the man springs to his feet for the first time in his life, springs to his feet, and then they walk in together praising God, and everybody is listening because they knew this man. They had seen him all those years at the gate called Beautiful. This was not some magical moment that they had engineered. The Spirit of God had moved in power, and everyone in the temple knew it. So all of a sudden, there are thousands of them gathered together praising God, But the chief priests get scared because it doesn't fit with their theology. So look at what happens in Acts chapter 4 and now verses 1 and 2. It says, So the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, the Sadducees were the political leaders, came up to Peter and John, look at this, while they were speaking to the people, circle, highlight, and underline, while they were speaking to the people, they literally interrupt Peter's sermon right here, while they were speaking to the people. It says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now stop right there for just a minute. Persecution shows up in the wake of a miracle. Whenever something happens in someone else's life or they look in on your life and they see something, they can't explain. There's two different responses. The first is to shrink back and to watch it unfold. And the second is to bow up and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That changes my worldview. That this exists means that I have to change in my own life. And then it causes them to start swinging against you. Now, just for the record, there are some people in this city who are very introspective when they see a movement of God in front of them. But can I tell you what most of this city has been in my experience? Most of the city are people who have already made up their minds on things. You've already made your decision. You've staked your claim in the ground. And then when God does something that you can't explain or that that person can't explain, they look and they go, when I see the light of Jesus, it shines onto me that there is something wrong and something missing in my life. And all of a sudden it turns into, if I'm not okay, then I'm going to find out a way to swing back at you so that you are not okay and just as ugly as I am on the inside. Now, just for the record, if someone is navigating through that, don't hate them. What it means is that the Lord has stirred in them this passion that they cannot get around. Eventually, they will come to the point that they realize the whole is in their soul and Jesus is the only one that can fill it. In this circumstance, the religious leaders look and they go, we walk past that man every day for years and none of us stop to help him. 
All of a sudden, he's been made well in this name of Jesus, and they freak out, so much so that while Peter is in the middle of his sermon, they pull him and John off the stage, and they throw him into prison. We're not okay, but we will figure out a way to make you not okay too. If you're taking notes, what should believers expect during a time of persecution? This is a very DC point. Are you ready? Number one, expect to be interrupted. Expect to be interrupted. We are a culture that likes to complete thoughts, aren't we? We're a culture that likes to get it all out and say exactly what we want to say, and then we allow it to come together. And then a person, I mean, it's basically what Congress is built on, right? You present your argument and then yield your time back to the speaker, right? So that then they can, they can have someone else come up and offer an argument. That is very rarely how it happens in real life, isn't it? You get going along, you got something you want to do, and then you get interrupted, now, just for the record, Peter says, don't be surprised when you face trials of many times, when something unexpected takes place and tries to throw you off your groove. In the same way, you will be interrupted as you live for Almighty God. And sometimes, if God allows that interruption, that was the whole purpose of the moment that was taking place in the first place. A little interruption... A little interruption can change your mindset completely. Every football coach understands this principle. You know what we did back in the day? I played weak side linebacker and fullback. And can I tell you, we were learning a new offense my senior year. And while we're learning a new offense, here's what we did. We learned the offense and learned to play, for example, a really complicated play. We'd learn it in the locker room. And then the coach would say, all right, line it up. And without any defense against us, we'd line up and we'd run the play. And sure enough, after five or six times of running it, by that sixth time, I'm telling you, it came together like a well-oiled machine and you watched it. You could see it in the player's eyes. It was, woo, this is going to work. This play's going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And we're going to score whenever we run this play against the opposition. The coach would see that confidence and that potential pride in our eyes. And what does the coach do right after that? Well, well done, man. Now put a defense on it. All of a sudden, they'd call for a defense to come out there. And can I tell you what would happen? We never ran the play well after the defense showed up. Because the defense, or never ran it well the first time after the defense showed up. Because the defense had been watching us practice that play. And they knew exactly how to disrupt it. How to interrupt it. When God allows interruption, it makes you sharp. Because you realize the purpose of what you were doing in the first place. The problem is with believers that go, why would God allow that to happen? I'm one of his people. Why would he allow an interruption or a disruption to happen when I was doing something for him, when I was trying to live for him, when I was trying to do the right thing? When God allows the interruption, he stirs the pot so that every sense that you have is focused on what it is that he could be doing. Just for the record, Jesus does this perfectly. Oh, if you want to write this down, you can. If the enemy cannot derail the miracle, he will seek to disrupt the momentum. Let me say that again. If the enemy cannot derail the miracle... He will seek to disrupt the momentum. What the enemy intends for evil, the Lord can repurpose for good. The interruptions that take place when the Lord allows those to happen while the presentation of the gospel is taking place, it usually is to put a big old spotlight on what God is about to do. No better example of that than the healing of the paralytic. 
Story in scripture, it's beautiful. Jesus is preaching a sermon in somebody's living room. And not just for the record, it's so full that everybody is crammed in and there's no way for people from the outside to get in. They're shut out from the house. All of a sudden, Jesus is preaching a sermon and I love this in scripture. We don't even know what he was preaching. He's preaching a sermon and then all of a sudden, dirt starts to fall in from the roof and all of a sudden, a man is lowered on what scripture calls a krabaton. Krabaton, by the way, doesn't just mean like a grass mat. It means the bed that this man who was paralyzed that he lived his entire existence on. They lower a mattress down there into the room and all of a sudden, four friends wave in and go, we did it, buddy. We got you to Jesus. Good luck, right? And all of a sudden, here's Jesus going there's a man here in the middle of the room. I'll get to you once I finish the sermon. No. What Jesus does instead is realizing the power of the interruption, stops, looks at the young man and says, son, stand up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Or son, your sins are forgiven. At that point, the Pharisees cause the next interruption. Jesus looks at them and says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, can this man forgive sins? He says, but so you know I have the power to forgive sins. Son, why don't you stand up and walk? And all of a sudden, the man stands up, the man who had been paralyzed in that community, that everyone knew stands to his feet and the miracle takes place. I've always wondered what Jesus was preaching, what the complete thought it was he was putting together. Because in the end, all that's remembered is the interruption and the glory of God that was shown in the midst of it. There are some of you in this room and you are so nervous when an interruption happens. If the Lord has allowed it, I want to encourage you, navigate the hand that you've been dealt and don't be surprised when it doesn't come together perfectly. When Autumn and I first got married, the biggest fight we had, our very first real fight, okay? I mean, we're trying to figure out how to live in the same house together after we get married, and I, I was a very unclean person, all right? And my wife was very, very organized, and the big fight that we had, that was the first real fight in the history of our marriage, was because for years, I would take my towel and I would hang it over the shower rod, okay? And here's why. I'd hang it there because I thought it'll just drip into the tub, right? I'll hang it over here and then the towel will be there to dry and it can drip into the tub. And uh, I mean, that's just what I always thought. I always also had just a plastic shower curtain. That, that was it. A total dude house, you know, had just this plastic shower curtain. Well, then all of a sudden, this really organized, wonderful, clean woman moves in and uh, all of a sudden, she doesn't have the plastic shower curtain anymore. She's got this like cotton, nice, you know, shower curtain so that the bathroom looks a whole lot more homey than it did uh, when, uh, when it was just me living there. And so um, we get together at this point and she goes, hey, we need to have a conversation. She said, um, you're hanging your towel in the wrong spot. And I said, what do you mean? I've been hanging it up here. I haven't been like throwing it in the corner. I've been hanging it up here. And she goes, yeah, yeah. She goes, it doesn't go on the shower rod. It goes on the towel rod. And I'm like, what's a towel rod? And she goes, you see this bar that's right next to the shower over here on the side? And I look over at it and I was like, I always wondered what that was. I, I said, that's the towel rod? And I go, but I've always done it this way. And then she starts to explain the towel rod and then I interrupted her 
It was a change from the way I had lived my entire life up until that point. And I go, I just, I don't know. And I remember her eyes fill with tears. And I go, are you okay? And she goes, you interrupted me. And I said, oh. And she goes, I just can't believe you've interrupted me like that. Now, we've been married for 15 plus years. There's a whole lot more interruptions on both sides that would happen moving forward. Now, here's the deal. Don't interrupt somebody else. It's just good practice. It's just kindness. But if someone interrupts you and it destroys your entire day, you might be a little bit too controlling of your circumstances. Stuff's going to happen. And with the gospel, you're calling to people to change their lives, to allow Jesus to change them from the inside out. Don't be surprised when that's a pretty big ask for somebody else that's around you. Interruption? Interruption is going to happen as a part of the persecution. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Does a slight disruption derail your day? Does a slight disruption derail your day? Our faith is way more durable than that. Start to live like it. Now look at what happens next. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, so they seized Peter and John. That word seized there is a pretty harsh word. They seized them. This is not just like they said, come with us. I mean, seized them means they grabbed them. This would have been a very traumatic moment for the disciples. Not only that, listen to me. This is the first time that the disciples have been thrown in prison because they believed in Jesus. This is the very, very first time in all of Scripture that that's mentioned. It says, verse 3, they seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Verse 4 is crazy. Look at this. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now stop right there for just a minute. Underline 5,000. Can I tell you the last time 5,000 men is listed in Scripture? When Jesus feeds the 5,000 at that moment. This is a massive crowd that have shown up. And I can tell you from Peter's perspective, mid-message, if someone came and tore me off the stage and took me to jail, you know what I would be thinking at that point? I'd be going, oh my gosh, I didn't get to offer him a chance to be saved. I didn't get to share the gospel one more time. I didn't get to give him a moment to make a decision or to have a moment of response and here's Peter being led away to jail going oh Lord what am I going to do I didn't get to see them through I didn't get to see the net I didn't get to see the harvest the net drawn in this uh, in this evangelistic presentation here's Peter going oh what if I what if I did this wrong and I'm telling you what's so cool is it happened exactly the way it was supposed to the most powerful thing the miracle had happened and then the Holy Spirit is the one who drew the net in the midst of being incredibly uncomfortable, we have a moment here where a miracle turned into a revival. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should believers expect during a time of persecution? Number one, expect to be interrupted. And number two, expect to be made uncomfortable. Expect to be made uncomfortable. A sign of God's favor on you is not that things are easy. A sign of God's favor is that you have peace that you have joy, that you are able to endure hardship when others would just fall to pieces. That's a sign of the presence of Almighty God in your life. When we're made uncomfortable, that does not mean that the Lord is not with us. In fact, if the Lord allows a situation to become uncomfortable and it's nothing that you've caused, if the Lord allows it to be an uncomfortable situation, there is something good that he will bring from it. 
So I had a crazy story to tell you. Um, so back in the day, my dad was a great preacher, uh, my true hero, and uh, my dad was a great preacher. And there was one time in particular that I was very, very uncomfortable while he was speaking, and uh, the Lord used it in a ridiculously powerful way. So at the University of Oklahoma, so back in those days at football games, and I think they still do, uh, at a, an arena called the Noble Arena. And so back in those days, it sat about 8,000 people, and uh, dad was booked to speak at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event where they were going to go to the Noble Arena, they were going to share the gospel, sing some songs, and then after that they were going to go to uh, the football stadium to watch University of Oklahoma play a football game. And so I'll never forget, we're there, and a guy named Jason Gilbo gets up to lead worship. He's a friend of Denver's, a dear friend of Denver's. And so Gilbo gets up to play in worship, but while they're on the stage, somebody from the upper concourse chucks a penny and the penny lands on the stage. Well, when the penny lands on the stage, some of you work in public speaking in some capacity, what is the one thing you should not do when somebody chucks a penny onto the stage in a large group of people that could very quickly turn into a mob? What's the one thing you don't do? Acknowledge it. You don't acknowledge it. That is, again, an interruption that you just need to let go and play through. Instead, God bless him. Poor Gilbo sees the penny up on stage, and he's trying to be cute, and he goes, man, a penny up here. If you're going to throw, throw something, throw quarters. That's exactly what he said. Well, all of a sudden, he has now planted the seed with the entire 8,000. These are junior high and high school kids. He has planted the seed with 8,000 junior high and high school kids, and all of a sudden, every bit of change they got in their pocket is flying from the concourse of this stadium, or the concourse of this arena, all the way down to the stage. Well, I mean, just like us, we got expensive musical instruments. I mean, Sam, the drummer runs up and is like carrying everything off the stage and running. I mean, I mean, they're throwing stuff, and it's chipping the drum kit. I mean, it's, it's just awful. So they grab stuff, and they're running off the stage. And then here's what happens. The FCA directors are there. And they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is a disaster. And I'll never forget, I'm 15 years old, sitting there with my dad. And my dad looks and he said, let me handle this. My dad was a scary dude. I'm just telling you. My dad was six foot one. He was bald on top with a mullet in the back. He used to call it his skullet. That's what he called it for real. And anytime somebody would make fun of his hair, he'd pull out a $100 bill and go, Benjamin Franklin and I have the same haircut. That's what he used to say. It's a funny story. Not only that, he was a center in high school in football. He was a center. He was built like I'm built. And he had gray eyes like a wolf, colorless eyes. When he turned on that rage, I mean, you could feel it. And because he was a preacher, the Spirit of God worked through him in a pretty powerful way. So here's what happens that day. He says, I'll handle this. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what in the world? Interruption? I guarantee you, because I've spoken in some tough moments. Not like that, but I've spoken in some tough moments. You feel incredibly uncomfortable. It's not what you want to do. You just want to hide from everything that's being thrown. And my dad walks out holds his hand up just like this. And then he begins to scold the group and talk to them how they have perfectly illustrated what sin is, that they are all sinners in need of a savior in Jesus Christ. He didn't do it fire and brimstone. They had illustrated it. Plus, can I tell you something else funny? They ran out of things to throw <laughs> because they had thrown everything else the last few minutes. He holds up his hand, he presents the gospel, and there were hundreds 
who came to Christ that day in that moment of uncomfortable interruption. If the Lord allows it, he can use it. If the Lord allows that moment of uncomfortability, then he will use it. But listen to me. If the enemy can destroy your mission just by making you feel a little bit uncomfortable, then a weak faith it is you have. If you're taking notes, write this down. The effectiveness of the gospel is not tied to the smoothness of the presentation. Let me say that again. The effectiveness of the gospel is not tied to the smoothness of the presentation. We are called to present the gospel as best as we can, but in the end, the way we present it, it does not determine whether or not people believe. We are just called to share it. No better example of that than 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Look at what Paul has to say. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not do it with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the mystery of God, the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Now stop there for just a minute. The guy who God called to plant churches across the known world, the one that God used to be the gateway for the Gentiles to the message of Jesus Christ, his word is, I was scared to death. It made me very uncomfortable to share this message. Look at verse four. My message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That's what happens in the moment. Persecution for the believers in Jesus Christ is something that is a certainty that we will navigate, not because God doesn't love us, but rather that we might focus on him with everything we've got and look for the movement of the Holy Spirit that faith of others might not rest on men's wisdom, something I talked you into, but rather because the Spirit has moved within you and you cannot stay the same. It begs the question, are you desperate for the Spirit's power or overly obsessed with an orderly presentation? Are you desperate for the Spirit's power or overly obsessed with an orderly presentation? There are some of you who've come to Waterfront Church for the very first time, or maybe this since the pandemic, you've been coming and you're new to the place. And by the way, we're glad you're here. But if you measure us up against other churches, our hope is that you wouldn't be here because we do enough with the children's ministry, we do enough with our social distancing, we do enough with all these other areas that it checks your boxes. The hope is that you would be here because the Spirit has moved you and you feel like it is where you were supposed to be. When we come to Jesus in that desperation, it changes everything. When all we are are consumers trying to check boxes, man, the people will leave just as quickly as they showed up. So look at the last verses and we'll close today. Look at Acts chapter four and now let's look at verses five through 12. It says... The next day, the rulers and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men from the high priest's family. By the way, what, uh, what the writer here in Acts has done is just listed the who's who when it came to the Pharisee and Sadducee council. These are the highest individuals in their country. 
All of a sudden they show up. It's the first time that a Christian, other than Jesus, has been brought before, uh, has been brought before a group of, uh, a group of uh, leaders like this. Now look at what happens. It says they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? I love verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop right there, circle, highlight, and underline. This is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times just months earlier. I love in this story that the hero that the Lord rises up to present the gospel to these leaders, to these religious leaders, the first one since Jesus to go on the record in a political setting like this, Peter stands up as the one who is so frail, who is so weak, who his mistakes are known. Does that not remind you of you and me in the story right here? He is somebody who is not perfect, but what makes him the man for the moment? He is filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we say what God wants us to say. It's the same reason Jesus comes back and says, before he went to the cross, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. When the time comes, when you're before the leaders, when you're in that big moment where you have to say it right, when you have to do it right, the Holy Spirit will show you what to do. He'll show you what to say. In that moment, verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people in Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's the captain, he is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Verse 12 is so powerful. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they may be saved. Some of you memorized verse 12 when you were kids. Verse 12 in context is Peter filled with the Holy Spirit looking at the men and he says here's the deal. We didn't just do this by the power of Yahweh God. We did this in the name of Jesus Christ. The name that is above every name. The one that you rejected. He now has become the capstone, the cornerstone of our faith. If you're taking notes we gave you the bad news. Now, here's the good news. What's the, what should believers expect during a time of persecution? Number one, expect to be interrupted. Number two, expect to be made uncomfortable. And number three, most importantly, expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit. On that day of persecution, on that day of difficulty, the Spirit will fill you with peace. The Spirit will fill you with joy. The Spirit will fill your mouth with words to say. I've told you this before, but right over here, before every service that I ever preach, I pray the same prayer. Lord, put your thoughts in my mind and your words in my mouth. Every time, Lord, put your thoughts in my mind and your words in my mouth. And then I pray for you that your hearts will be open to what the Lord has to say to you today. Expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, a little quote here for you. Like the roaring of a lion, the Holy Spirit will make himself known. Like the roaring of a lion, the Holy Spirit will make himself known. I got one last story for you and we'll close today. It's scary, isn't it? The thought of someone interrupting you, making you feel uncomfortable, and then waiting for the Holy Spirit, something you cannot control and even fully understand to show up and give you the words and show you what to do. That's a very, very tall ask from the Lord. But when we do it, it does something that is so much bigger. It's not man's wisdom. 
It's a movement of the Spirit's power, and that is undeniable. That happened for us not too long ago here. When we moved here to start the church, we didn't know anybody. We had a few people we'd met over the years, but as far as who we could start a church with, we didn't really know anyone. And so my family had been here a matter of days. I mean, again, I think it was four or five days at this point. And uh, we had a mission team from First Baptist Church Plains, Texas, uh, that had uh, driven an 18-wheeler truck up here full of our stuff. They dropped it off. We still have to build our furniture, and many of you who've moved even recently, you got to build furniture, you got to put all the, that we had to wash clothes and put stuff in the right places, and I mean, just fine, and we'd gone from a house in Texas, a 1,400 square foot house in Texas, to all of a sudden, we're in a 1,000 square foot apartment over here with three kids, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a a two-month-old, and so we're trying to figure out where everything goes, and we don't have a church yet, we're coming here to start the church, so we don't have a network, and we're trying to raise money so that we we can pay the rent and, and be able to, to do the things we need to do out here. And so about four days, five days into uh, our church's history, we're here in D.C., and uh, um, I was, uh, it was me and our worship leader in a car with a pastor from Spotsylvania, Virginia, kind of down by Fredericksburg, small church. And we were trying to get this pastor to sign on uh, to, uh, to help fund us and help pay some of the rent for us out here. And so I drove him over to the old Friendship Baptist Church in Southwest. You guys know it as the Graffiti Church that's over there, or a Blind Wino or Culture House that's right over there just a few blocks from here. It was a beautiful place for us to start because that church building was the first church built by freed slaves in the district. And so uh, it has some deep heritage there. It's a beautiful spot. And it's one of the spots where the Lord called out to our hearts to come here and plant the church in D.C. Anyway, we're in the car having that discussion. And then all of a sudden, I got interrupted. The interruption came because around the corner over there in Southwest, I see a group of college kids. And they're walking together and their lips are moving, they're talking, but they're not talking to each other. And all of a sudden, it hits me like a ton of bricks. I was like, they're prayer walking. It's a group of college kids, lips are moving, they're together, but they weren't really talking to each other. I was like, they're, they're prayer walking here in the area. And I'm trying to talk to this pastor to get him to help us, and then all of a sudden, I'm feeling very uncomfortable because I can feel the Spirit say, go talk to those college kids. And so I'm stopped, and I just go, look, I, I've got the worship leader there in the car, and I go, hey, I need to take care of something. I mean, it's like mid-sentence, mid-sermon, story of how we moved to D.C. I said, I, I just need to take care of something. And the worship leader's like, what are you doing? And I said, I think those people are prayer walking. Let me go talk to them. So I get out of the car. I walk over to the young woman. Her name's Alexis. She looks like, looks like she's the one in charge. And I walked over and I go, hey, uh, this is going to sound really strange, but are you guys like swalking? And all of a sudden they go, yes, and they run up. The whole group like swarms around me. It turns out they're from Southeastern University in Florida. Alexis comes up and she says, you're not going to believe this, but she said, we came here on a mission trip, but the church we came to help doesn't actually need us this week. She said, we are here to do anything that the Lord wants us to do. And I said, well, actually, I moved up here a few days ago to plant the church. And all of a sudden they go, hallelujah. I mean, they were real charismatic. They start like praising God right there in the middle of singing praise. 
praise in the middle of the streets. I mean, it was crazy. The song that we sing, Yeshua, a couple of weeks ago that you guys will hear us sing, Southeastern University Worship, they're the ones who wrote that song. And so it's kind of what reminded me of this story. So I looked at them and I go, well, would you help us unpack the house? and build our furniture, and I mean, would you help my wife wash some clothes and get some stuff ready? And she goes, I'll send six college students over immediately. We'll get that done. They were the very first mission team in the history of our church. It's crazy the way the Lord knit that group together, and it was because, again, the interruption happened. I was uncomfortable, but you fight through it, and then all of a sudden, the movement of the Holy Spirit takes place, and it's a story to tell. That pastor that day was like, where do I sign? How much money do you need? I mean, I'm telling you, as good a storyteller as I am, that moment, the Spirit's movement, the power of God was undeniable, and that's what people end up remembering because the goal was not that they would walk away and go, man, that Pastor Zach can sure tell a story. The goal was that they could walk away and go, man, the Spirit is here. Something is happening. God is up to something, and I want to be a part of it. God is up to something, and I don't want to miss it. It begs the question, are you fearing something that you should be preparing for? Are you fearing something that you should be preparing for? Now, just for the record... Preparing for doesn't mean working towards that one specific thing. Preparing for means that you are living every day for Jesus. That every ounce of your life, you're trying to do the very best you can to live here, okay? Don't tune out. Most important part of the service these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read, and how we're different because of those things. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Even the smallest of disruptions seems to ruin my day. And I don't need to be that person anymore. And this is a city of disruption, isn't it? With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would do what's right because it's right and that I wouldn't allow a disruption to ruin my day. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. That's powerful. So many of you. So many of y'all can put your hands down. Maybe half the room. That's this city, isn't it? If the devil can't halt the miracle, if he can't derail the miracle then he's going to try to disrupt the momentum. I'm going to pray for you, but just pray this simple prayer. Lord, I will keep my eyes on you. Lord, I will keep my eyes on you. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm in a situation where I feel real uncomfortable. I'm in a situation where I know I need to do the right thing, but I need to do right before it feels right. I need to do right because it's right. With nobody looking around but just me, those are some of the biggest decisions I've ever made in my life when it comes to following Jesus, when I did right before it felt right. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would do right before it feels right. Even when it's uncomfortable, pray I would do the right thing. If that's you, if you would just lift your hands where you are right now. It's powerful. That's powerful. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. If that's you, 
just pray this simple prayer. God, I'll do it no matter how I feel. God, I'll do it no matter how I feel. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I got a really big date circled on the calendar. I got a really big moment that I'm working towards. And you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? He said he would do. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. That's powerful. So many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, first of all, I've been there. It's so difficult. And it goes against your human nature because you want to control it. But when we have faith, it pleases Almighty God. And the Spirit will show up just like he did for Peter, just like he did for me in front of the old Friendship Baptist Church, the Graffiti Church. He will show up for you and show you what to say. I'm going to pray for you, but if that was you, just pray this simple prayer. Lord, I will wait for your Spirit. Lord, I will wait for your spirit. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Lord, thank you for Peter. Lord, just the power of his message, the power of his testimony. And this was from a broken, flawed man. I think that that's, for me, one of the best parts of this story. He was not perfect. He had been very weak just months before. And yet, Lord, you trusted him with this moment. I can't wait to get to heaven to shake Peter's hand and tell him thank you for being faithful. And Lord, I can't wait to hug you and tell you that I'm so grateful that you were faithful to him and to us. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who are here today who have been derailed by interruption. I pray that you would give them a single focus. I pray that you would help them to hold strong, to anticipate that it is not going to go like they planned but that, Lord, you are the one in charge. Lord, I also pray for those who are made to feel uncomfortable right now. I pray that they would do right before it feels right, that you would give them a double portion of courage in Jesus' name. And, Lord, for those who are waiting for your spirit, give them a double portion of courage as well. Help them to hold fast and to be strong. And, Lord, we can't wait to see what's ahead. We love you, Lord. Speak in power this morning. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.